Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills, joined as always by Zelwyn Heidi. Joining us today, the Reverend David Appled, and we're talking about prophets, but specifically the call of the prophets. Now, we have studied several of the minor prophets and some of the major prophets on the podcast before, right, guys? Yeah, yeah. We've I've tried to do something along the lines of prophets. I think in many of the episodes I've been on with you guys, we've been talking about prophets in general or, or maybe some specifically. But tonight, instead of going into just particular exegesis running through the book, we're going to look at the calling of a prophet, what that means biblically, what's that significance, and what that means for us today. Where are the living oracles for the Church of Christ in these gray times. Before that, though, gratuitous weather posting. Gentlemen, what's going on in your necks of the woods? It's a very mild winter here in Paducah. Tomorrow, I don't know when this will actually air, but this weekend it's supposed to be in the 60s. Strange for me anyways to have Christmas, to be around Christmas time. And like my kids, we got one of them got a scooter for Christmas, and like every nice. day, we're outside riding our bikes and our scooters. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. It's good, though. Yeah, Pretty it wholesome. Is. It is. <laughs> and meanwhile, it warmed up to 40 here, so. Uh, <laughs> Zellin <laughs> took off his buffalo skin and went outside? In shorts, probably. Yeah, I mean. That's just how it goes. Now, things have it's been pretty mild here too, surprisingly, but obviously it's just been generally a bit colder than the rest of the world, so. We got snow. <laughs> right. It's it's snowed one time here so far. We got snow on December 23rd. I was teaching Bible class and I looked outside and all of a sudden there was snow and then but it it melted instantly. It was gone on Christmas Day, but it started snowing on uh, the 26th. And we kind of kept it since then. So we got about six inches right now. Not too bad. But yeah, yeah, mild mild here too. Mild winter for the word fitly spoken crew. But you know what isn't mild, guys? How's that for awkward transition? <laughs> <laughs> when God calls a prophet. Not, not mild yeah, at all. Ezekiel would agree with you, yes. <laughs> David, how do you want to how do you want to go about this? This subject is your baby. God speaks to you directly, sometimes in the form of a bush or angels. So, if you would like to go ahead and, yeah. and explain this to us, okay. So, you know, so usually when we talk about the prophets, we're talking about what they themselves say, right? So, the act of prophesying or or the art of prophesying 
usually implies what they either what they wrote down the literary prophets or what they what they proclaimed what they preached and what we're going to talk about today i want to kind of if you take a step back chronologically before they can speak they have to receive something right and so before they can say thus says the lord first the lord has to speak to them and that's really what we're putting under examination is how does the word what does it mean when like jeremiah says the word of the lord came to me like you mentioned you've got the Moses with the burning bush. And then throughout his ministry, he had some sort of, how does he describe it? He spoke face to face with the Lord. Isaiah, Ezekiel, even Daniel has these descriptions of these visions that he had. And so we're talking about the reception of the word of the Lord by the prophets. And then how does that, but what's, what is the value of that? Or why do what does that have to do with Christians now living in the New Testament? How does that connect with us? Does that make sense? Is that a helpful distinction for you? What they received before they spoke? Yeah. Yeah. So you want to look at one specifically then? Should we uh, start with Moses? Yeah, go to, I think Moses would be, especially when you're talking about prophets, Moses is prototypical. For Moses, the call of Moses begins, most of our listeners should know this one quite well, the details Anyways, with the burning bush, it's in Exodus chapter three. I, I just would point out a couple. I just want to say I do like that you're that you're assuming that people have heard that. You know, more and more we're we're kind of getting into the days where, you know, you, you just you just never know. Yeah, but we also have Cecil B. DeMille. So there you go. Charlton Heston has made sure <laughs> that we get that part right and the end wrong of the Exodus story. So. Yeah. So with with Moses, anyways. This is obviously a supernatural thing, right? This is not, uh, and it's not just happening in Moses's head. It's not an experience that is only in his head, although he is the only one there on the mountain, uh, Mount Horeb, I think it's called in Exodus 3. But there's an actual physical sight that he sees, this bush that's burning, but behold, it's not consumed. And he goes over to check it out, and, and then he gets much more than he bargains for, right? And so the Lord calls him from the bush. Now, it's a little bit different with Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, because there, I think, and and I'd be kind of curious to hear what you guys think on this too, I think that there, they are in some kind of, it, it's a dream, it's a vision, it's it's a different thing than Moses' call. Don't you guys, do you, do you get that impression? Yeah, I mean, because like Ezekiel especially uh, describes it as a vision, and uh, he says that he's overwhelmed for a week afterwards after receiving the vision, whereas with Moses, yeah, I mean, it is clearly a fully external sign. Although I think with visions, I don't think we have to think of them as purely like mental. There's probably still something about them that is external to them. It's just the method that it comes to yeah, them. If that yeah, makes I don't sense. Wanna, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not trying to say that they were like hallucinating or something like that. Obviously the Lord right. is appearing to them, but it does like, like you said with Ezekiel, Daniel is this way very much that it happens in Daniel says in, I had visions in the night. So I think he's having mm-hmm. a dream of some sort. Yeah. The Lord is appearing to him, but it's in the form of a dream, but that kind of takes us away from Moses. So go back to Moses with me for a minute. So Moses sees God, or he sees the burning bush, and the Lord speaks to him from the bush. And you get this call of Moses. And I would just 
read just a little bit of it here. This is in Exodus chapter 3. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The sight and the fear, we can talk about the response that Moses has in a minute. This is maybe kind of a weird term to use, but what is actually revealed to Moses in his call here? God reveals himself, right? His self-revelation. Now, he's going to go on to give some content. He's going to talk about, here's what I'm sending you to do, Moses, right? You're going to go, you're going to tell Pharaoh this. So God gives him specific content. But I would, I think that at the very beginning, to actually know the Lord, to have him come and communicate himself in some way to Moses and to all of the prophets, that is what overwhelms them and kind of sets this apart from just a, like, you know, this is, this is a different kind of a thing than the teaching of the law from the pre, you know, from Aaron. Yeah. And these are actual tangible moments for them too. This isn't just some intuition that they, that they receive. And, and you kind of hear that language today and we'll get into that a little bit probably in the, in the third section, but this idea that God is telling me to do this, or God told this guy this, and how did he do it? Well, you know, premonitions, or, you know, I just got the feels, and I, and I feel like this is what I need to do. Or Balaam looking for omens, you know, that kind of there thing. There you go, right. Th- this is something that's unmistakable, and yet sometimes it's not initially persuasive. Moses tries to push away to kind of kick against the pricks here. Jonah is certainly the best example of this. It, it, it's interesting right. how... The call of a prophet isn't really negotiable. Right. God gets his man. Right. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> yeah. a good point. Yeah. No, 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 bro. You're hired. Okay. You're, you're taking it. He, he drafts them, you know, and, and they don't really, they don't really get the choice here. You know, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I would just point out here, especially with Moses, uh, David, you were saying that, you know, God reveals himself, but he actually reveals something extremely significant here. And that is his name. I am who I am. Jacob and Abraham and Isaac didn't know God by this name, but he now gives it to his people through Moses. But yeah, absolutely. You're right when you're saying that Moses doesn't really have a choice, even though he stutters and stammers and tries to get out of it. You're going, dude. This is happening. That's a good because <laughs> some of the commonalities just to bring out here. Okay, so there is the Lord himself comes. He's not sending an angel, although it does say the angel spoke out of the bush and we don't have time to get into all that right now, I don't think. But with Jeremiah, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. In Ezekiel, I think Ezekiel describes it this way, the spirit or the hand of the Lord was heavy upon me. In Isaiah, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. So this is not, there's no other intermediary figure here. It is God and this man, Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, whoever it is. And there's, yeah, there's no in-between person. And that strikes fear in all of them. So the way Moses responds, Isaiah does something very similar. Woe is me, for I am undone, right? Jeremiah, ah, Lord God, I am but a youth. And then Ezekiel, I think is the best one. Ezekiel, after he has his vision, he just sits somewhere for seven days. 
He just doesn't. He just because he's <laughs> he just can't even for a while. So so in these in all of the calls, God, yeah, you're you're right. God does not say, "Hey, do you maybe want to do this for me?" He calls him and he makes the prophet by calling him. He gets his man, and there there is always this the holiness of God or the transcendence of God, and and that comes out in the what's the right word for the prophet there their own response is always, I'm not, I can't do it. Right. And then God has to kind of lift them up. And, you know, you get the the great atonement with Isaiah. You heard me read with Jeremiah, you know, don't say that because I'm with you. And that's the same thing he's going to say to Moses. I will be with you. And I'll, I'll even give you my name. I think there's actually something important about that, though, that uh, that reluctance. I mean, we could just chalk it up to sinfulness and say, you know, they should have just said, you know, like Isaiah said, you know, here am I, send me, and then just go. But when you come to a passage like Jeremiah 23, when you have false prophets claiming the burden of the Lord and claiming that they have this sign, this thing that they, you know, can't get out from underneath of, Jeremiah rebukes them and says, no, you are the burden and I will cast you off. So I think this reluctance is actually a sign that God is choosing maybe the right man for the job. Because, I mean, it's easy enough to claim that, you know, God sent you to do something, but did he really do it? Put it this way, Zelwyn, if you actually are called by God, Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah, these guys, they have this immediate sense of because they actually saw God, they know their own smallness and they know God's greatness. Right. Yeah, this is actually this is actually right. an excellent point and a perfect counter signal to something that we hear all the time. It's sort of this myth of the reluctant servant. And we've romanticized that like we've romanticized David the sinner rather than David the penitent. So what you right. end up with is, you know, you get a bunch of like pre-sim 20-year-old guys sitting in, you know, summer Greek. Uh, they wouldn't be in summer Greek if they were pre-sim, but you know what I'm saying. They're all sitting in their first sim <laughs> class and they're like, Introduce yourself. Well, I'm Pastor Short, and I've just, you know, I'm here because I've been fighting the call. Been fighting the call. Concordia pre-sim, you know, diploma still ink, ink not quite wet yet. But we've we've romanticized this, and it's we've extended it down to the pastoral office today that that like it's somehow sinful to desire the work of the Lord. So that's more of our contemporary one here. But we've sort of read back into some of this to where we want to make this into reluctance, and it's reluctance, but not a sinful reluctance. It's a reluctance the prophets have where they acknowledge, or where they demonstrate, rather, their knowledge of God's holiness and their knowledge of, of His will. Right. And, and you know, I really, I kind of want to rescue the Old Testament guys from these scoundrels who make them into scoundrels. They are sinners, absolutely, and they need forgiveness, but they know this. Okay, their minds, the prophets' minds are sanctified. Even if they use language that doesn't really comport with the niceties of today, I am perfectly happy saying that, at least in some sense, you know, their their minds are set apart in a way that ours often aren't. Now, there are going to be bad examples in the story of Moses. He's going to ultimately fail in a very big way. I mean, multiple times he does, but he's going to receive the punishment of not being able to enter into the promised land. But if you look at the life of something like Ezekiel or Jeremiah, I mean, we really need to rescue these guys. You know, the prophets are held up as examples for a reason. And their positive examples are good for us to see. To understand that these men were in tune enough, 
I mean, M- Moses is at least in tune in all of his imperfections. He, he at least is smart enough to know, especially after he's told to take his shoes off, that he is before a holy, holy God here. It is really funny just that we've romanticized this kicking against the pricks kind of thing. Everybody wants to be a Jonah. Everybody wants to be a David. Everybody wants to be a St. Paul. And guys, you don't have to be, okay? <laughs> you don't have to be. God can raise you, can bring you up in a godly home. Yes, obligatory reminder that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness, okay? So please don't send letters. The thing about St. Paul, though, is that even though you know he kicked against the goads, yet he could still turn around and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Yeah, yeah be like me. <laughs> Your spiritual he's not he's not holding up this this eternal brokenness yeah, exactly he's basically saying i am following after christ so therefore you can imitate me we've turned the old adam into some kind of hiv <laughs> and, and what do you do you know we can't really do anything about it you're just gonna have to live with it and it's probably gonna kill you anyway to be sure all men die but i do testify to this that all men in christ live and they live forever and that's the reality of the new man that new man which is a reality right here and now for the baptized faithful and so as a child brought up in the faith god for the men he calls into the office may very well nurture that from the time you're a boy and don't be ashamed of it and don't let the he- don't let the heathen out there tell you that because you've never had some great falling away you've never had a great personal apostasy that you somehow understand things worse god has in his providence preserved you from a lot of the struggles uh, temptations and and quite frankly uh, stupid mistakes that that a lot of us committed when we were away from him so so don't ever think that your testimony is now deficient because of that for god kept you apart from the world for his very purpose. And, and you know what? Homeschooled kids and, and kids raised in the faith by strict godly parents, praise God for that. There's nothing to be ashamed of. I think someone somewhere said, he who desires to be a bishop desires yeah. a good <laughs> <laughs> We're always coming back to the Bible with you guys. What is with you? I prefer to read you know, theologians of various synods first. <laughs> well, anyways, with the, with the actual call... I I just want to emphasize this again. The significance of the call for the prophet is that they know God, not that they know everything about God or, or, you know, we could get into some apophatic stuff here, but God reveals himself to these men and that has to happen first before they can go out and speak for God. They have to actually have met him. They have to have communicated with him. And that's the significance of the calling because it does play a big role role in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. I mean, that's that's foundational for who they are and what they're going to do. And now here I've been sort of conflating the pastoral call with prophet, and I don't want to I don't want to mislead anyone and say that the pastor today is a prophet in the same sense that Isaiah is a prophet, for example. But we're going to talk more about that later in the podcast, perhaps just after the break here on A Word Fitly Spoken. We'll be right back. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. The Word of God is the center of our faith life. Join us every Thursday for a new podcast, available on iTunes and your favorite podcasting app. Follow us on Twitter at WordFitly. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash WordFitly. And check out our website, wordfitlyspoken.org. We thank you for listening and stay tuned for more Word Fitly Spoken.
This is a word fitly spoken. Willie Grills, Zelman Heidi, David Apple talking about the calling of a prophet. Now, we sort of generally understand, you know, who the prophets are. Many Christians can at least name one or two, and you know, have a few lucky guesses, but what exactly does a prophet do? Are there prophets today? We don't necessarily have to unpack that just yet, but is there a difference between, say, a prophet in the Old Testament and a pastor today, deacon, deaconess, or licensed lay officer of any kind? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think there's a difference between prophets and licensed lay deacons, but the difference between <laughs> prophet and pastor, yes, there we do want to make a distinction there. Although functionally, functionally, there is great overlap. Okay. Well, well, let's talk about it and let's start with the with a prophet yeah. first. What does a prophet do? A prophet speaks for God. A prophet is a, a spokesman for God. So would you is it fair to say he brings God's word to the people? Yes. So he he receives God's word. Think of Jeremiah. The Lord puts his words in Jeremiah's mouth. So first the prophet has to receive that word from God. And then he speaks, you know, he can't keep it in. Jeremiah even will say, I tried to keep quiet, but it became like a fire in my bones and I had to speak. So he speaks God's word from God to the people. All right. Now, the prophets are receiving things a bit different. A prophet's going to, to dream dreams, for example, right? Or he's going to have God or God's messengers show up and say, hey, this is the word of the Lord. This is what you're going to tell the people. The most vivid example is probably Moses, where, and, and the most detailed example, wherein, for, you know, we have the burning bush, yes, but we also have God bringing him up to the top of the mountain. And when he brings him up on the mountain, God writes the tablets. Okay. But people also kind of forget that God does more than that. He's actually giving the whole of the law there. And, that, and that's an act of prophecy. Any, any revelation like that is prophetic. I think sometimes we get prophecy confused with simply future prediction. So a lot of people hear pro the word prophecy and they think when when a man of God says something will come to pass. Okay. Right. Then that that is somehow prophecy, but in the most basic term and the most fundamental most important terms, prophecy is bringing the word of the Lord to the people, whatever that may be. I think you get a great example of this, even among the minor prophets. And we can go back to my boy Amos. Much of the book of Amos is not actually about predicting what is going to come to pass. It's about dealing with the particular situation and the particular sins of Israel in his time. You, you're not grieved over the ruin of Joseph, or you are, you know, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. All of these things point to and prophesy against Israel's current sins. But then when the prophets point towards something in the future, it's always for the sake of showing that what is being said right now is true. And I think you get the best, ex uh, the clearest proof of that, if you want to use that language, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, where the new prophet like Moses, so that when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if that word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. In other words, if his future predictions don't come true, you don't have to listen to anything that guy says, period. Everything he says is a lie. It's not just like a, a hit or miss. It's a, if he gets, if he points to this and it comes to pass, this is the word that is being spoken to you right now is also true. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, it gets tricky when that stuff doesn't come to pass for a while. You know, you'd hate to be in that position well, yeah. as, a, as a prophet. But it's like unto the charismatic gifts that you see in the New Testament era, or even in the life of, say, Elijah, right? These confirming signs are there just for that purpose, to, to demonstrate the trustworthiness of the message being brought. Right. Well, or, or, or the person bringing it. So why do we have healings, you know, in Acts, for example? Because it's a testimony to the truth of their message. And what plainer testimony is of the truth is there than words that actually do what they say, right? right. Yeah. Jesus himself, I mean, he says, you know, believe in the miracles if you won't believe me, because you can't deny the miracles. Right. And, if, and if you have the miracles at hand, you know that what I'm saying to you is also right. true. That, that confirmation of who the true prophet is, is essential for, I guess what you guys are getting at is the miracles are not just done for their own sake, right? They always serve the purpose right, of right. confirming this guy is a legitimate, true prophet from God. And if you think about the history of the Old Testament, there is always, when the prophets are sent, there is a progress in terms of like, God has to send a prophet because Israel is falling short of its goal or or maybe not even that but God God has to advance his revelation and so he has to send these prophets and that requires a sign it requires these miracles that take place for the prophets but also for just the people who are standing there hearing okay here's this guy Jeremiah and I there's other prophets at work you know there's Hananiah who do I trust? Who do I listen to? Which one's the right one? And you see this time and time again throughout Scripture, false prophets really in direct competition with God's true messengers. And that is very difficult at times for the people to sort out. Prophets are very often not accepted in their own time. And it's probably a good indicator that if the world loves a man, he may well be a false prophet. And I think that that's true today. And that's the spirit of Antichrist. You know, his message conforms to something that the world enjoys. And so they go whoring after him. You know, it's it's not easy being a prophet. One, it's similar to being an advocate of sola scriptura today, wherein we say the scripture is sufficient. Well, it's not that different in the Old Testament because God's signs and God's word, that is what is coming from the prophet, is not sufficient for the people of the Old Testament. They rebel, they run away, they blaspheme, they build idols even when they have this direct revelation coming yeah. to their prophet and their prophet speaking directly to them. So it, it's it's just interesting to see how the parallels run. We are definitely living in a different a different time than the Old Testament. I almost said different dispensation, but you can't say that word anymore. <laughs> right. Um, you know. <laughs> too bad. Too <laughs> it was a good word until the, until, you know, until the 1830s. But <laughs> anyway, you know, we can. there's really a lot for us to learn here about listening to the prophets. And we have this advantage. They didn't. They're hearing it all fresh. And I, I do think there is something comforting about having the words of the prophets centuries and millennia removed, but still preserved by Almighty God in his word. And and really, we should be listening to the words of Amos just as intently as the people that he was talking to originally. Right. Right. Well, even even the, the prophecies and the miracles that they were doing, I mean, the immediate miracles obviously was proving it to the people then, but it still gives us that comfort too. I mean, yes, we're reading about it through the word. We're not witnessing it within our own eyes, but they testify to the truthfulness of the message. And so the, the miracles which were done in the days of the Old Testament, 
Elisha raising an axe head out of water and raising people from the dead and stuff like that, or all the way down to Christ doing miracles, even Peter, you know, causing people to walk again. All of it points to the fact that the word of the Lord is is trustworthy, that we can trust when God says that he's going to do something, that he will do it. Well, what you what you bring up there, Zelwyn, this so this is kind of an interesting thing to try to to try to kind of put yourself back into the Old Testament. I mean, what would it have been like to have lived at a time before Isaiah spoke or before Jeremiah had spoken, before Ezekiel, or even while they were doing it, right? While when there was this this progress that was still happening, right? There was still something more to come after you. When I mean, even living after, right, 2,000 years after Christ, but also we have the scriptures written down. We also have the canon uh, already put together for us. We don't have to wrestle through like dealing with this stuff. It's already been done for us and been handed down to us. And I think that that just the thought experiment, I guess, if you will, of thinking like, what would it have been like to have lived at the time of Samuel or to have lived before the coming of Christ that that helps you see the the blessing of or the importance of these prophets that God has to keep coming back to his people again and again and again through the prophets. And then finally, you get this finality with Jesus Christ. The word finally becomes flesh and, you know, now he appears himself. And now, boom, okay, we have the ultimate, the ultimate prophet. Yeah, back when there was no frequent vision, as in the yeah. days of Samuel. So God comes to Samuel, and Samuel's like, "Who? I don't even know who he is, right? I don't even know who he's talking to me right now. I think it's Eli. <laughs> but even, I think you can get a, a small taste of that, a very, very small taste of that, David, when we think about the, the revelation yet to come for us in the Christ returning. And, you know, and because we don't really know, I mean, God doesn't tell us anything, or doesn't t- tell us a whole lot about it. And so, yeah, I mean, it is that kind of like, we know it's happening, but we don't really know when, we don't really know how, we don't know a lot of the details. Now you just have to multiply that by a hundred and you can be an Old Testament yeah, saint. <laughs> well, so we've we've kind of beat it around the bush here and we've really, you know, tried to follow an outline that we've, you know, the spirit hath moved us. And so, so we keep moving along, but we, <laughs> we keep going, you know, dancing around this question of prophets and living prophets and how the prophetic office relates to us. So are there prophets today? What's a pastor do? Does a pastor prophesy in any way? I think if you look at it in the way that we defined it, that a prophet is there to receive something from God and to proclaim that word to God's people. I think it's very easy to see that prophecy in a, in a wider sense uh, is still occurring today in the pastoral office. But that does not mean if you if you conflate prophecy with future telling, mm-hmm. obviously that's not something we're looking for. And that's unfortunately what most people think of, like you were getting at earlier, Willie. Yeah. But yes, I do think there is a way in which we can say pastors are prophets to their own people. Okay. I'll just put it are, out there. Are, are pastors <laughs> prophets in any sense to the world? Yeah. I mean, we are called to proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose if we are if we are carrying out the mission of the church, we are becoming prophets unto the nations as well. But at the same time, I don't know. I mean, do we a, a pastor's role in a pastor's office seems a little bit more focused than say 
the the work of Isaiah. I mean, or do you want to argue with? Well, that? I'd say it's almost less focused than the than the work of Isaiah. I mean, the the Old Testament prophets okay. are oftentimes given that specific task. Here you go. Here, and a pastor has that too. I mean, a pastor. God says you're called to pastor of such and such Lutheran church, probably a Saint Paul's of some kind. <laughs> you know, you're going to be here, but then you're also going to have you know, some administrative tasks, you're going to have counsel, you're going to have a lot of other stuff you're going to do. Whereas someone like a Jonah, for instance, is is taken out for this really specific narrow period of time. They're broad in scope as far as audience at times, but in mission sometimes I think it's more narrow. Yeah. Yeah, but then you you still get the reference to Jonah in Second Kings, you know. So it's not just that Jonah had one mission. No, and he no, was no, done. no. But I'm saying that the that the initial call, you know, what does that look like? What are they, yeah. you know? Here's here's what you're going okay. to do. I'm going to tell you this, and you're going to say it to them. And yeah, I mean, you look at somebody like Elijah. Obviously, that pokes holes in that theory. But <laughs> I, I guess I'm just trying to say that the pastoral office has become molded sometimes into something a little bit different these days to where we're wearing a lot of different hats. We don't always have the the hat of profit on, but instead we are, you know, we just become administrators, gurus, community organizers. Yeah. Community organizers, right. Or, or some, or warriors of various types, culture warriors, you see, you know, so social, <laughs> not social justice, but social media samurai. Oh gosh. I wish I hadn't said that. That's going to give somebody ideas, but um, you know, <laughs> But you might be right. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it is broader. So, can we say like more defined in mission for the prophets, but broader in scope, whereas a pastor is sort of narrower in scope, you know, and narrower in folk, maybe. Well, because because what I was getting at with like the prophets, yes, they are called to do something specific, but they are called to all of gotcha. Israel. Right, right. It's kind. It's kind of like with Paul, for example. Paul as an apostle. Yeah, that's what I mean by that's what I'm saying by scope. Scope being, you know, the okay. the population it encompasses. Right. Yeah. So the 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 population he's sent to, like his parish, so to speak, if you want to use that language, is much broader than what we are called to. But that does not mean that we are somehow only limited to the people within our congregation. Yeah. As if as if you know. Pastor Short can just, he's on vacation in Branson, so I don't feel like I need to ever, you know, mention Jesus Christ to anyone while I'm at Denny's, you know, out of state, <laughs> right. out of my parish or something like that. Yeah, we don't want to say that. There's there's also another difference to bring out here just in, in terms of like this call of the prophets. Willie, I, before, I think at the very beginning, you quoted the Hebrews 1 passage long ago in many, in many and various ways diverse and sundry ways God spake unto the fathers. So the the call of the prophets is not repeated in the path in like the call of a pastor. At least it wasn't for me. Yes. Um, and right. so you don't have these visions, you don't have these dreams. Yes. So so the immediacy of it all, the immediacy that we see in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel is not the same with a pastor. But the function works out the same in that we are still called to speak the word of the Lord to whoever. You know, I do think it's healthy. Back back when we spoke English, you know, preaching and prophesying were, were kind of synonymous, okay, at least in, in, say, Puritan England. You know, you look at something like William Perkins' The Art of Prophesying. It's a manual about how to rightly divide the word of God or a, or a preaching manual. To see the preaching task specifically as an act of prophesying is is healthy. However popular Christian culture, at least since the Second Great Awakening, we're back to that again, has completely transformed the way we, in our culture, talk about the word prophecy. 
I mean, you have Luther writing against the heavenly prophets, right? So you have these sort of maniacs even at the beginning of the Reformation and certainly prior and all throughout church history. But for us English-speaking Americans, it really hits home in the modern charismatic movement, which is going to say that there are actual prophets today perhaps receiving new revelation. Now, we're coming up on the break, so we'll talk about specific examples after that. But we really want to counter-signal this idea that God is coming and whispering in your ear and telling you what to preach. Now, it may well be true that you need to address certain issues with the Scriptures in your congregation or to a specific individual. But that's markedly different from God going, Psst, give me some of that sandwich. You know, right. like <laughs> like he's not going to, you know, hey, you really need to talk to Frank. Why? Oh, get a load of this. Right. You know, it's not it's not so much of that. Although I suppose there are traditions in the Eastern Orthodox Church where the elders can read your mind and that kind of thing. But that's Russia. I don't go there. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Pretty soon you end up with Rasputin and we just have, we definitely want to, want to go there. So. <laughs> right. You know, isn't that where well, that's a whole that's that's a. <laughs> That's a whole other. That's a whole other podcast. You know, it's. I mean, and, and we don't want to rule out. I mean, some sort of holy intuition or anything like that. But it, but it's a very it's a very dangerous path that you go down. Well, God told me to tell you this. You know. Well, you know. What do you mean by that? You mean that that you know as a pastor that that this is wrong and needs to be confronted. Right. You know, or or that or that the, 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 here is a pressing need in the congregation. It doesn't necessarily have to be a specific sin of an individual, but the congregation needs to to hear about this specific topic. Well, I mean, that can be you know using your sanctified reason, and that can still be godly. You know, but we don't have to pretend yeah. that God is coming at night. And that does not need to be specifically revealed to you by you know the word of the Lord coming. Yeah, to you. yeah, yeah. You don't need a dream. God speaks through His word, not through ambient. You know, just to be careful of those kind of attitudes. <laughs> well, all right, we're coming up on our next break. We'll be right back with more word fitly. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Visit our website, wordfitlyspoken.org. There you'll find new articles each week on the Bible and other topics. You can also join us on Facebook at WordFitlyPosting. That's WordFitlyPosting with a P to discuss anything you've read or heard. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back with more WordFitly Spoken. We are back. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. Willie Grills, Zelman Heidi, David Apple talking about the call of the prophet. So we've talked about the prophet versus the pastor, kind of what that looks like. Is there a place then for prophets and prophecy today? What do you think about that, David? When when we talked about it in the last segment, we were I think that we've we've talked about this in terms of like the pa- the pastoral office and the preaching of God's word is still essential to the church. It's essential to the mission of the church. 
uh, and it will always be so until Christ returns. So if that's what you mean, then yes, prophecy continues. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, I'm just asking, okay. um, you know, I've asked that loaded question then. A lot of people would say, no, God is still giving revelation. God is still sure. prophesying through prophets. What do? <laughs> yeah, I think I think that if we're waiting for, if we're looking for God to call a new Isaiah, a new Jeremiah, a new Ezekiel, then we are waiting for something that that he is not going to do. Now, he could, I suppose. God is free to do as he pleases. But I think that that with the coming of Jesus, that you have the the there the finality that comes with the Word made flesh, the finality of and long ago, in many times, in various ways, God spoke by the prophets. But now, in these last days, He's spoken by His Son. That gives us the end of waiting for further prophets. Well, un- unpack that a little bit. Do you think that that verse is sufficient to prove that doctrine? I want to be doing this the whole segment, so get sure. used to it. I think. Well, I think. Okay, let me just talk about that verse for a second. Then I used to think that that verse was like a letdown, like. Long ago, you had all this exciting stuff, but now God <laughs> spoke by his son. Okay, so that was sort of my own naivety. But it's saying the exact opposite of that, right? You had visions and prophets, and you had these various ways in which God would come to his people and reintroduce himself to them when they had completely forgotten him. But now, with the coming of the Son, you have the better, and this is what all of Hebrews is all about, you have the greater, the fullness of the Father's revelation, and you have the exact imprint of his image, and so you don't need other prophets, because you have, if you have Jesus, then you, you don't need further prophets. So I do think that that verse is sufficient for that, especially when you read it in context with you know the rest of Hebrews. What we're saying is then... That since we have this revelation, but see, this is where we got to unpack this because this is where the charismatics are not satisfied with our exegesis. They're going to say, yes, scripture is sufficient, but God isn't done. So you have, for example, Joel's prophecy, which is reiterated in Acts about old men dreaming dreams and young men seeing visions. Okay, so now once we move into the New Testament, it gets a little bit murky there for a while because you have the coming of Pentecost and the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy or the beginning of that fulfillment. Yet you still have these signs, which we talked about earlier, these confirming mm-hmm. signs, but you also have what appear to be visions and revelations going on. Yeah, but I mean, if, if you're if you're dealing with a character like, say, Agabus, as a prophet and predicting what is going to happen in the future, you're still dealing, I guess I would say, you're still dealing with a revelation that is coming to be completed in the, the writing of the scriptures. I mean, do we look at it like this? You know, Paul talks about, I mean, he literally says a new revelation given to us, you know, when referring to, say, right. the full Gentile inclusion. So you've got that going on, but then, at the, but then at the same time, you seem to have evidence, for example, of the healing gifts passing away in similar texts. So he tells Timothy, for example, to uh, have a little wine for his stomach rather than I'll come by and, you know, send, send, I'll send somebody with the, with the charismatic gifts to come and heal you, for example. <laughs> so the argument is generally that that things are winding down as the canon is is being closed. So as the right. scripture is being completed, we no longer need these confirming signs, and certainly we need no longer any more revelation because Jesus Christ has come in his fullness. So now right. what we're saying then is 
the only new revelation we need would be something more akin to an awakening. So it's not new words, but it's calling you back to these old words or calling you back to these things that you once knew, or in the case of a new convert, giving them these old words for the first time. So it is prophetic in that sense, but no new revelation. Right. But people aren't happy with that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and, and that's the difficult thing is that they want something new. And when you present the scripture as if God isn't speaking to it, or if you as a preacher believe that the Holy Ghost isn't working through your preaching, insofar as you're preaching faithfully, then yeah, I suppose it is kind of dry. But the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, is it not? Yeah. Go back to the, the Joel passage in, at, on the day of Pentecost, because I think that this is, this is actually where it's really helpful to, to think about what, is, what he's saying there. The dreams and the visions that the prophets had, think back to what we were saying before. What, what are they receiving there? They're, they mm-hmm. are coming to know God more and more. Right, so they actually see him. Moses sees him. Isaiah sees him. Jeremiah, in some way, sees him. Ezekiel sees him. Well, I think that what what is happening at Pentecost and what that the quotation of that prophecy from Joel is saying is, if you are hearing this about Jesus Christ, then you know God. Right, you know this is John one kind of stuff, and it's also in First John two. The apostles say, "What we have seen, what we have touched, what we have." heard ourselves, now we proclaim this to you. So the the function of the dreams and the visions, which Joel prophesied would happen more and more in the New Testament, actually does happen even without, you know, we don't have dreams and visions. We read God's word. We hear God's word preached to us. And in that way, those dreams and visions are actually being fulfilled, even though I'm not, it's not like I'm at night, I'm, God is coming to me in a dream and popping up and, and talking with me. Yeah, I mean, and you do have 1 Corinthians 13, which does say, charity never faileth or love never ends, but as prophecies go, they shall fail or they shall pass away. Tongues will cease, knowledge, it will pass away. That's oftentimes used as, as kind, of a, kind of a proof text for cessationism. But we have to constantly deal with this because it's very, very common in our context for people to say, well, God is telling me this or, or God is speaking through this man. And, and, and pastors and preachers and teachers will go so far as to say, I have received this new revelation. God is revealing new things to me. And, we, and it comes about in two ways. The first one is this. Well, what God is revealing to me is what this is in accordance with the scriptures. So the scripture already say it. Okay. So I'm not, God isn't revealing anything to me that the scriptures don't say. The problem with that one is, well, then why do we need it? Right. You know, it's redundant. We don't need it. The, the second kind then is actual new revelation or new doctrine. So on the one hand, you'll get some kind of guy saying, well, God's just telling me things in accord with the scripture, or he'll say, you know, God's, giving me bogus predictions about your life or something like that. The other side, you know, it, it's kind of like a cross between a televangelist and a, and a, and a soothsayer or a fortune teller. Okay. So on the other side though, then you have men who say, no, God has given me a new revelation. The end of the world's going to be at this date, for example, or here's a new doctrine that you've not heard of before. And then we come into an even greater error, but what, but the lesser error leads to the greater one quite often. Because if 
if we don't believe that the canon's closed or that revelation is closed, then yeah. we are open in an even greater yeah, way to saying. false teachers. You, you get a slippery slope. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing, guy. The largest Christian groups in the world do not believe in a closed canon. The Orthodox don't and the Roman Catholics don't. And there's a fair number of Lutherans out there who maybe on paper they believe that it's closed, but in practice they don't. And it's not the 70s. You know, the charismatic Lutheran movement's kind of gone away as far as a, a nomenclature goes. But as you look at, at Lutheranism in parts of Africa, for instance, they're very much living as if the canon isn't closed. And, and I've no time for the paper confession that says it is. If you believe that God is giving new revelation, if you believe he's coming and telling you these things and revealing it to you, you don't believe in a closed canon. You might as well go to the notes section in the back of your Bible behind the maps and start writing it down. <laughs> and that's what we need to be careful about. Do we believe, one, in a canon, and I know that there, there's at least one notable popular so-called conservative scholar out there on all your radio programs, you know, being published by reputable publishing houses who will say we're only bound to the Gospels and maybe a couple of the epistles. That's it, because prophetic and apostolic. If you hear a guy say that, run away, get rid of his books, don't listen to him. We're talking about the Bible, the actual canon, Protestant canon, because, you know, got to say it. The Bible, all the books are the word of God. OK, and we are affirming here and now that the canon is closed. That is that is your opinion. Correct, gentlemen? That is. Right. Right. Genesis to Revelation, you affirm those books, correct? I do. <laughs> we're being grilled here. Yes. Yeah, good. All right. So we're all on the same page. Sorry to get a little heated tonight, but it's hot in this room. And, and, and I keep coming back to this. I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely scandalized that we would have pastors saying not all the books of Scripture are Scripture. Or, or you know, they're, they're crafty, though. They don't go that far. They say, well, we're not bound to them in the same way. Get, get, get thee behind me, okay? I don't have time for this. We are in a battle here, okay? It, it's truth against error, and, and souls are actually on the line. Election and you know, predestination aside, okay? It actually does matter. False belief does matter. And, and leading people astray matters, and that's what's at the heart here of New Revelation. Well, because if, if you're going to, I mean, I suppose you could go on the one hand and say, like, certain groups say, like, we have the golden plates, and so that's where we're getting this new revelation or the, the God spoke to me directly. And that's where we're getting new revelation. Or you could kind of soft pedal it and say, well, the church decides what is revelation. Yeah. But the, the but, it's, but it's ultimately the same thing. You're still ultimately saying that the scriptures are insufficient and that God has not revealed the fullness of what he intends to say to us prior to the coming of Christ in his son, Jesus yeah. Christ. I mean, there's no way around it. Right. Is there, I mean, the, the, that word that you use, Zelwyn, the insufficiency of Scripture, that, I mean, is there a better doctrine than the sufficiency of Scripture? I don't know. You can't compare these things, I guess. Yeah, and that's the thing. Even if you want to reject sola scriptura, can you at least say Scripture is sufficient? Yeah. That's because it's they're related, you know. But I think we should right. push for that, the sufficiency first, and then we can talk about, we can talk about the close thing later. Yeah, is it enough? Is the scripture enough for life and salvation? And we would say it is. And, and this is the thing, guys, and I'm on my soapbox tonight, but we have become so obsessed with our own big brains. We have become so obsessed with knowledge of the world, worldly knowledge, that the simple truths of scripture and the clarity of scripture is, is done away with because we're just smarter. So we look at somebody with their English Bible, for example, and, and we go, well, 
you don't really understand it. You know, it really butchers it here in this passage. You know, like we become our own seers. It's it's weird. You know, everywhere we can, the reason why people are turning away from the scriptures is because we ourselves turn away from the scripture by casting aspersions at it at every turn. When, when a man equivocates on the plain words of creation, for example, and, and I don't want to get into that debate, or 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 justification, which is which is an even bigger deal, things like that, the, the person and work of Jesus, or, or or simply the words used here to communicate the truths of the Bible in the vernacular, we've become so careless with the way we treat the words. And I'm careless even in this podcast with my own words. But we've come so careless with the word of God that we turn people away or we confuse them because we want to impress them. Brothers, we're not that smart, okay? We are God's messengers. Let's not be smarter than God, okay? Let's keep it simple. Let's keep it clear. And yes, systematic theology can be difficult, and the scripture can be a difficult book, but it is not a closed book, and it is not a dark book. What is dark? Okay, our hope. We see in a glass darkly, but that's the hope we're looking forward to. That's the life lived by faith. The Word of God is an uncapped well. The Word of God is clear, so we can drink from it, all right? We can see it, we can hear it, we can understand it by the Holy Spirit, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of the Word of God. Yeah, it is, and and that's. I think that that's the beauty of these. Looking at the call of the prophets and seeing that what they what they had in dreams and visions. Now it was probably a more heightened experience for them because, well, I mean, we know that it was because Moses falls down, puts his face on the ground. Isaiah is undone, so on and so forth. Right for us, when you read the Bible, it usually does not bring about that kind of experience but but the knowledge of the lord comes in the same is, is the same right it's not like they knew a different god than we know it's this it's one and the same god and to know the lord through his through his written word is is just as good as to have dreamed a dream like Isaiah or Jeremiah. It's not like Ezekiel saw the wheel within a wheel and said, cool story, bro. Maybe got another one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Is that all? You got more? It's like, the, <laughs> it's like the jerk teenager waiting for the new iPhone or something. Well, and, and even, I mean, think about what Jesus said. Many prophets longed to see the things that you have seen. I mean, he said this to the apostles and she said, well, they saw it and we didn't, but we have it written down and <laughs> we, we hear the things that the prophets longed to hear. So, I mean, yeah. I think, again, that Hebrews 1 passage is so great because the dreams and the visions are not superior. The Son is the superior revelation. Yeah, it is the person of Jesus Christ and that the Scripture reveals. Yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely the case. And I think if we put it in that perspective, then the Word can never go stale. It's always new. It's always fresh in that sense. It's always revealing the Lord Jesus Christ to us. Yeah. his person and his work. And that's the thing. The people who are are wooed by so-called prophets are looking for something authoritative and something clear and something, for lack of a better word, fresh. Oftentimes we fail to do that because we ourselves, we convince ourselves that, that the scripture is stale or insufficient. Yeah. And it happens in a number of ways, right? The most obvious, the one we're going to poke at the most in our circles is going to be like the church growth movement, which is always trying to sort of reinvent the message in a way that's appealing to the masses. And that's worked out really well over the last 20 years, as you can see, or 30 years. 
you know, that that's one way. And, and nobody's intentionally doing that. They're not coming out and saying, we don't believe the word is sufficient. But I think sometimes the method betrays that a little bit. And then the next is when we make scripture, one, when we put things above scripture, when we are not spending time in scripture and in prayer, and I think the two need to go hand in hand. And yeah, I sound like a fundamentalist, but deal with it. That we need to read scripture in conjunction with prayer. And especially pastors of the Missouri Synod, we, you know, the majority of us are required to have master's degrees. You ought to know how to read the scriptures by now, but I'm afraid some of us don't. And we should read it and we should just read it. Okay. And yes, consult commentaries when we have to and consult other sources when we have to, but above all, be in the word and pray. And I don't mean that in an enthusiastic way. I mean, just literally get it in your system. It's not a bad thing. God gave you his word. He preserved it so that you can read it. And, 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 and stop, please stop putting, prioritizing other things in your time over the scriptures. Take care of your family. Yes. But what I mean is stop reading crap books. Okay. Even push the hymnals aside for a second. It's okay to put the hymnal down and read the Bible. All right. You're not an illiterate peasant. You can read it. It's okay. Okay. I promise, what Pastor, if, you no, can do it. Tell me your opinion, Willie. Tell me your opinion on icons. <laughs> icons are good, and icons are the books of the illiterate. But what an amazing thing it is that people can, can read today, and most pastors are literate. So if you want to spend some time staring at a picture on the wall, cool. But the Bible is more than just a prop. You know, I, I like seeing a picture of your prayer niche on, on your Instagram with your Bible on it, but I'd rather you open it and read it. I want to see the spine broken on more Bibles. It's kind of my message tonight. <laughs> your, your pastoral education was for the care of souls. And what do you have to care for the, the souls of men? You have the word of God and the sacraments, which are activated by that word. All right. So just hang in there. It's a good book. It's for you. Don't get don't get blinded by the things on the margins. Stay down that path. Don't look at those other things all the time. Look to God. Look to where he is found. And that is in his word. And that's okay. I think Luther would want you to do that. You like to appeal to him. Well, I'm going to appeal to Luther so that you'll appeal to the scriptures like he did sometimes. Willie. I think I'm going to have to go sit down and rest by the K-Bar Canal for seven days after that. <laughs> and David, please go dip yourself in, in the waters uh, seven times. I will. Yeah, I mean, and, I, and I'm going, and I'm rambling a little bit tonight, but but it is the case. We can't just point fingers at, at everybody else and not, and, not look in, and not look internally here. What good is it to emphasize the sufficiency of Scripture? It, the whole purpose is to actually then read and know the Scriptures, right? Like what it does, you no good right. to say, well, these other groups, they believe in continuing revelation and we don't. Well, okay. What do you believe? You believe in this, the sufficiency of this revelation. You better know it pretty well. Yeah, exactly. Like what's your excuse? You're not, you don't have to sit around waiting for something new. You got what you need to be learning right there. Yeah. Go. <laughs> you know, it's like, Get it's, in it's, it. like it's like, if it's, it's like, it's like being lazy on the job. Hey, if you got time to lean, you got time to clean, right? Well, we might have a government job, though, Willie. <laughs> yes. Well, guys, any last words before we pack it up here? I think that I, I, it's hard to outdo. I mean, seriously, what you're saying is is right on the money. And it. I think that it, it fits in line very well with this. Looking at the call of the Old Testament prophets, the way that the word of the Lord came to them and gripped them, is it's a good paradigm for the way that God's word now in the scriptures 
in the preaching of his word ought to grip pastors and, and people alike. It's well said. You know, if you got any hate mail, I'm just I'm getting ready to tell you where to, where to send it. So, you know, but remember, all those things are good. Enjoy your pictures, enjoy your music, but those are gifts from God. But keep the word at the center. Don't let anything become an idol in your life, even if it appears holy. Just read the word of God. Do as it says and and teach according to it, brothers. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and, and heard. And so how can we speak if we have not seen? And to be in the scriptures is the key above all. Amen. This has been a Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out, wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Willie Grills, here as always with Zell and Heidi. David Apple, thanks for joining us. God love you all, and God bless. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around him. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, and when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. As he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me.